Creative Sandbox Way Podcast, Episode 157. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, creativity instigator and author of The Creative Sandbox Way, founder and CEO of Creative Sandbox Solutions, a consultancy that provides high-energy soft skills workshops and trainings for teams using play-based methodologies, and founder of the Creative Sandbox Community, a lab for women's leadership through creative expression, here to explore and investigate anything and everything having to do with transformation through play and how creativity and play can help you live a more full-color life and be a better leader in all areas of life. And today, I am talking with Gary Hirsch, who wants you to steal his idea. So who is this Gary Hirsch? Well, Gary runs a consultancy, like me. Gary Gary's consultancy is called On Your Feet. And On Your Feet got started through a t-shirt. He was selling hand-painted t-shirts on the street in Portland when a guy, Robert Poynton, bought a t-shirt and struck up a conversation with him. And he will tell you all about that in our conversation. Gary is a co-creation junkie who believes that joy comes from collaborating with strangers. He is a facilitator, a performer, a muralist, a doodler of robots, and the co-founder of On Your Feet, a consultancy that collides business with the art of improvisation. He's an early pioneer in the field of applied improvisation, helping organizations generate new ideas, collaborate, engage audiences, and walk their talk, all while having a ridiculously good time. His clients include Nike, Intel, Disney, Apple, the British Ministry of Defense, and others. Pretty impressive. And Gary is also a visual artist. He used to paint on t-shirts, which is, as you will hear, how he got started with his consultancy on your feet. And he is the creator of BotJoy, which is a five-year visual experiment that uses over 40,000 large and small hand-painted robots, of which I am the proud owner of one, to explore collaboration, inspiration, and and how art can help and heal. Gary's public works can be seen in London, Madrid, Boulder, Dallas, Melbourne, and in his hometown of Portland, Oregon, and not far from me in San Mateo, California. So without further ado, I turn you over to my conversation with Gary Hirsch. Enjoy. I wanted to start with 
how I was first introduced to you was, which was at a long time ago at the World Domination Summit. I think it was the 2013 yep. World Domination yep. Summit when you came on stage and improvised with the entire crowd oh. <laughs> of, I think it was like, I don't know, two or 3,000 people or yeah, something? Yeah, it was, well, I like to think it was 3,000, so let's just say it was. Okay, was we're going to say it was 3,000 people. And you improvised, you you created a rock band with all of us. Yes, I did. That was so fun. That was, a, that was great. I mean, I had a great time. We ha- I had a great time. And I have to tell you that I had, I had, I had done a tiny bit of improv before that with Anne. Do you know who Anne Randolph is? No, I don't think I do. She does classes using improv and storytelling to, Uh you know, to help people who want to write. And some people come into it from the writing place and some people come at it from the performing place. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't even know which place I'd come at it from, but I didn't think of myself as an Im- improviser at all at that point. But after the world domination summit, I started taking improv classes through bats improv. Oh, great. Sure. I love yeah. Those guys. yeah. So I've been doing improv ever since, but Excellent. at that time I did not do improv. And so mm-hmm. you know, here you come and you're, you know, bouncing around on stage and you're, you know, improvising and getting everybody in the audience to create a rock band, which may sound pe- weird to people who are listening, but we created, sure, we can, we yeah, created yeah. a rock band. <laughs> we did. We did. And we did not know what we were going to make before we got up there on stage. And the we is the most operative part of that, right? Because yeah. it, what, that's the whole idea. That's kind of what gets me out of bed in the morning is this idea of co-creating. And so, yeah, that was a really fun, uh, experience. I love that. How did you come up with this concept and how long had you been doing that? Like the, the, that the rock band that yeah. exercise. Oh, um, that was actually only the second time I ever did it. And, um, the first time I did it, I was, it was really, this is kind of how I work. Um, it was for a TEDx talk actually. And what I needed was TEDx talks are weird because, um, for me, at least they're weird because they are, designed for two audiences that are very different. One is a virtual audience that is watching it later. And then one is the audience that's in the room that's actually watching it. And um, most of the time, I don't really care about the virtual audience. But on this one, I was like, you should care about it. Or someone told me I should care. So I did. I started to care. And um, because I'm also much more interested in the the live experience when I do work up on stage. And so um, what I was looking for was an experience that could fit criteria that that would fit both audiences, that would be interesting enough to watch if you watched it later with just a micro bit of editing, but still it'd be a really interesting experience that could demonstrate sort of the power of the three points that I was making, which is this idea of how you need to sort of let go uh, when you're working with other people, if you want to co-create with them, um, how you have to sort of notice more in your environment and how you have to use, I say use other people's stuff or use everything. And again, these are just different, different language for a lot of improv tenants. But um, so I want to create an experience and TEDx also has a very short time period. I think they gave us 18 minutes, et cetera. So that's how I designed it. And again, we're talking about something that people who are listening will be like, what's he talking about? So I'll just describe it super quickly if that's helpful. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, the idea is, is I'll, I'll start this experience. So I'll be up on stage um, and I will uh, ask the audience to first, and I think this might be the most important thing, is to look around the space and to notice something that they have not yet noticed before. So uh, in this instance, when you saw it at World Domination Summit, you're at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall, which is this beautiful hall in downtown Portland. It's got sort of incredible sort of ornate 
what's the word filigree that's probably not the word but you know stuff on the walls and it's got so you ask people to look around and notice something um and that in itself is an interesting creative experience because just getting people to shift their focus uh, into things they have yet to notice expands possibility i'm a big fan of this idea of noticing more so you get people to do it and they notice something i haven't noticed before so i, I can't really quite remember what but someone somebody might say or notice the exit sign and the far left and someone else might notice the chandelier um and so you have people notice something and then you have them turn to somebody next to them and you have them combine the thing that they noticed with the thing that their partner noticed to come up with the made up name of a rock band that never existed. So in the instance I just gave, you know, um, Chandelier Exit could be the name of the rock band, which is actually not a bad name for a rock band. You could, you could do like worse. Um, uh, and so you have people do that. And then what I do from the audience is it's, it's a real simple Sort of a, it's an improv format, which is called verbal chasing, which is you simply just ask your audience lots of questions and they look brilliant. So you say kind of go, OK, great. So let's hear some of these. And someone yells out Chinese exit. And so I'll go, great. That's it. Chinese exit is the name of the band. And of course, uh, this band was highly at its, at its height, was popular in what year? And then someone else will yell out 1980 and go, great. And what genre was it? And they'll say it was um, punk rock. And you go, great. So you simply are just asking the audience for stuff. And you just say thank you to them. I mean, it takes zero ability from my, my perspective. I just have to remember it. Um, and then you just keep at verbal chasing them. So you kind of go, excuse me, can the three of you please get up on stage? And um, you get three people out of the front row and you have them freeze with some any pose they want. And you say, good, that's the cover of this album. Um, and you start to create, you can create the history of this band. You can go, where's the drummer? And someone raises their hand way in the back and you're going to go, um, you know, give us the beat for that song that you guys went to number one on. So you just keep verbal chasing the audience to get them to a point where they are just, they are creating without having to think, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, and you can even get them to sort of start to sing, which is what happened here. You kind of go, great. Well, where's the lead singer? And somebody raises their hand. And this is that beautiful moment where people are taking sort of large creative risk in front of the, an audience, but they know that this is a safe space, uh, which I love to help create. And you go, great. So you're the main singer of this band, Chandelier, uh, Exit Chandelier, Chandelier Exit. Um, can you sing us the, the chorus of that number one song that you guys did in 1983? And they'll do it. And suddenly you've got someone belting in front of 3,000 people. <laughs> and then you go, great. Well, of course, we all know the song. So let's all play it too, sing it too. And then everybody's singing it. And it, it, it's infectious. And it's, it's sort of beautiful, actually, to watch an audience do that. So hopefully that made sense in an, to, to talk about a physical experience in an in a audible way. But that's what we did. Yes. And it was delightful fun. And I, I've gotten to do it with you twice because I did it at that World Domination Summit conference. And then I yeah. got to do it with you in this past June at the Creative Problem Solving Institute in Buffalo, well, yes, New York. It was, it was yeah. so fun. Yeah. So, you know, it is a, um, and again, I think in this world that I play in, which is this sort of, um, it, yeah, it, it's sort of Im, highly improv based world where you're looking at the world of improvisation. There's nothing new under the sun. Like, I don't know that I originated that experience. Probably not, but I can't remember getting it from anywhere else, but it doesn't really matter. It's like, um, it's open source territory, which is lovely. And so, uh, I'm glad you got to play it. Yeah, it was really fun. And that, I love that you, that you talk about it as open source because that's a perfect segue into one of the main things that I wanted to talk about, which is something that you talked about at Sipsy, which is the concept of letting go. Mm, yeah. And when you're co-creating, that's something that you have to do a lot. 
And when you're improvising on stage, of course, you're co-creating all the time. You also co-create in, in lots of other ways. You, you have this amazing project, your Botjoy project, which I'd like to talk about as well. Sure, sure. Happy but to. I, I want to talk about this, just like it, this general concept mm-hmm. of letting go. Sure. Because that one is such a big one for me. And I'm sure that you and I are not alone in this. <laughs> mm. Oh, I'm sure we're not. I mean, you know, it's, it sounds profound, you know, let go. If of course you can imagine it on bumper stickers. Um, actually, it's very funny. I just, I just did a mural with that was the language uh, on it. And it shows up. Uh, it's a big mural. It's in the back of, of our office space here. And um, it has a picture of it, it, I painted a picture of a woman who's uh, sort of letting go of a rocket. This huge rocket comes out of her hand and um, it just says, let go on it. And it's, it's the traffic. It's very funny because it's where it's painted on the back of our office is a massive traffic jam here in Portland. And so I get to walk by it all the time and go, all these people are looking at this sort of let go message while they're completely stuck in traffic. <laughs> Guys are really pissed off about it. Like, oh, thank you. Um, but uh, th- yes, I mean, it's a it's a simple idea. Um, but you, I want to be careful that when you when we talk about things to not like just assume it's let go. So you know what that means, right? We all just keep going. I mean, in my mind, here's what that means. That means that um, as as a creative being, and again, we all are that. Um, we come to sort of a, a creative process, and that could be a conversation I think of as a creative process. A co-creative process is anything that you're doing with somebody else as far as I'm concerned. And we'll, we'll come with uh, something that uh, a guy named Keith Johnstone, who is an improv sort of a guru and um, uh, somebody I, I've learned so much from, he has this word, of, of, he calls them shadow stories. And we'll come to any kind of creative process with a shadow story. It's like, what's the way we want this to go? What's the idea we want to see happen? On an improv stage, it might be if the audience yells out a suggestion of a dentist um, and I'm getting up on stage, I might want to be the dentist, right? But if, if Melissa, you come out on stage too and you want to be the dentist as well, well, that could be great because we're going to have a scene with two dentists or potentially one of us notices that the other one is giving out all sorts of cues, we call them offers, of being dentist-like, and you let go of that desire to be dentist, and you can become patient or become dentist dog. It doesn't matter. So the reason why it's important is because um, if you don't let go of your agenda when you are making something with someone else, um, you won't progress. You will not create um, flow really flows. I think the goal is the objective and you can't create flow if everyone's holding on to their, to their agenda or their objective or the thing that they want to see happen. So it seems to me that it's a pretty vital creative practice in anything that you do with other people, not just something that you would label as a creative process. Like let's paint a picture together or make an improv scene. I think it's vital in let's uh, live on this planet together. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. I I also experience it in, the work that I'm doing, say, just on my own, you know, like the, it takes, it takes a kind of letting go in order to share your work, right? I mean, we hold on so tightly to our work. And then, you know, it's so easy to never share it out of fear, right? Of Oh, yeah, sure. The judgment monster takes over. And of course, you have those 15 conversations in your mind, which is, or I don't know if you do this, but I do, what I do sometimes, so I do, I do a lot of visual work. A lot of visual art is a big part of my, my day. And, um, I will be working on something and then I don't know what happens, like something, some demon takes over me and I start to imagine 
a single person in my life that I pretty much know won't like it. And I decide that I can't make the painting anymore because Rob won't like this. It's like, what is that about? So it's this sort of massive judgment. And then you project your judgment on other people. I mean, it's crazy time, no doubt. Making things makes you can feel a bit crazy, no doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I And I started a practice. I don't know when I, when I, whenever it was that I started sharing on Instagram, I started a practice of sharing whatever it was that I had made in whatever state it was. Oh, great. That's a let go, no doubt. Yes. And what was so fascinating to me, Gary, is that sharing my imperfect work, which was so scary, was this profound experience. I learned so much. And what what it did, and nobody's going to be able to see this. Gary and I are on video, but everybody listening obviously can't see this. It allowed me to take off my gremlin glasses. Look at those. And those those are quite striking. Yeah. And put on neutral glasses and see my work through other people's lenses. Mm, Really, really profound because I started to get, you know, people, people that I didn't know, strangers who had no agenda, weren't trying to curry favor because I wasn't famous or anything, would expend the energy to lift their thumbs and tap the like button. Mm. Whoa, that is fascinating. So then that would give me Two options, basically. I could say to myself, well, they have lousy taste. Or, huh, they must see something of value in my crappy art. And if they see something of value in my crappy art, maybe there's something of value there. So that enabled me to look at my art differently. Mm, That's great. Really profound. Maybe it's not so crappy. Maybe it's not so crappy. One person's crappy is another person's snappy. There you go. Terrible. That's not a bumper (laughs) sticker. Yeah, that's, that's great. I think um, for me, this, this, the sort of, there's a lot to talk about in this conversation around letting go. The thing that I find most gratifying around it is this idea of, you talked about sort of putting things out that are, that you said, I think you said they're crappy or that are like mistakes. Uh, to me, it's the idea of incompleteness. Mm-hmm. So what I'm most interested in, and this, this carries over a lot into my artwork, um, my physical artwork and improv work too, is creating incomplete stories that invites the audience to help you finish them. Mm. That to me, the thing is in my, I sort of identified early in my work or in my life really, like, what am I trying to get on a daily basis? And the one word that keeps surfacing for me is surprise. I get I get off on surprise. It's like, as long as it's really good surprise, don't give me terrible surprises, but good surprise is so worth getting up in the morning for. And so I've just tried to create the conditions to have a lot of that in my life. And this fits in with this idea of letting go an incomplete story, because I'll give you, here's an example. When I was, uh, I was in grad school and I was working on my grad school thesis, which was in visual art. This was in painting. And, um, and I was painting this painting and, you know, it, it was these, I, my work is really colorful and it's got lots of characters and creatures and monsters in it and things of that nature. And I had this painting and it, it was just this, you know, the, visually it was like this guy and he was holding a cupcake and this dragon was sort of reaching for it. And I kind of knew what this painting was about, but I was doing it in my garage and this, my next door neighbor, Rashi, who is a 12 year old kid comes in without even hesitation. And he goes, Oh, let me tell you what's happening in this painting. See, the cupcake is um, the monsters and this guy took it from him. And now the monster is trying to get it back. And he just went into this giant narrative about this painting that I a had never thought of before. And I was like, oh, 
shit, that is so much better than anything I was thinking of. And how cool that whatever it is that I created got you motivated or excited enough to want to fill in the story. And I find things like that to be the most interesting because that I get surprised and I help contribute to the, uh, the, the, the surprise myself. And still I'm not having to be the owner of it. Um, so I don't know if that relates to what we're talking about, but I find that to be creatively motivating always. I am so with you on that. I have what I call my guidepost for the creative sandbox. I have 10 of them. I wrote this book called the creative sandbox way yeah. that came out yeah, last yeah. year. And so of these 10 guideposts, number six is ask, what if? And that is my favorite place to be. And that's basically the place of being surprised. And that is absolutely my favorite place to be. Mm. And when I have, I have a daily doodle practice, and my, my favorite place to be in that daily doodle practice is not where I'm doing the same thing over and over again, but when I surprise myself. Yeah. When something new happens, oh, I didn't know that that was possible. Now let's see where I can go with that. That's that's what I love about improv. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, improv, again, is a way – like to me, it, doing it in community is – that's that's the ultimate. So um, uh, I hear you. I do a lot of work by myself. So a lot of the visual art I work is by, is by myself. But even in that instance, I try to create things like these interactive murals and the Batre project that uh, is complete when other people interface with it. Um, and of course, improv is the ultimate piece of co-creation. You get a suggestion from the audience sometimes, so they contribute. You've got all your scene partners, so they're contributing. Um, you can look back on improvised stories and know, absolutely, explicitly know, there's no way you individually could have created that, yeah. whatever it was that you just made. And I find that that's like magic to me. Um, yeah, that, that's, again, that's what gets me out of bed and has been doing so for a long time. Well, let, well, let's talk about the Botjoy project. And then I want to talk about what you do with On Your Feet, your your mm -hmm. company that you, your consultancy. So, yeah. but let's talk a little bit about Botjoy and sure. what that is. Sure. Okay. Uh, fair enough. And they sort of, they sort of blend together. I guess the best way to talk about it is through sort of its origin story. Um, as you mentioned, I run a consultancy for the last 21 years now, which is called On Your Feet. And On Your Feet is a consultancy that basically takes the tenets of improv, so the behaviors that improvisers use on stage, and it's the basis for a training company. So we train folks, not just in improv, but improv is sort of the origins of the work, using improv tools to help them with real business issues. So it's done as a business training uh, a consultancy. Um, sometimes we call ourselves a behavior consultancy. Um, but we go into organizations like uh, our clients are like Nike and Intel, um, Disney. And we use improv to help them do things such as um, engage audiences, so presentation skills work, or come up with new ideas uh, so using improv for ideation, um, uh, think about how they, they manifest the things they say they care about in action. So we call that values to action work. So there's a whole territory of, of application of improv. So I've run that company and we've been doing that for a while now. And as part of the fact that I run this company, I get to decide what we give people at the end of the year as the end of year gift. And so one year I made a, a just a journal and most of it was blank pages. But in that journal, I wrote a little, I created a little doodle. And I, there were doodles throughout this journal. And this one doodle said, it was, it was called a co-creation journal. It, was invi it invited the people that got it 
in this instance, it was a doodle of a kid with a robot. And the, the prompt just said, imagine if you went through your day being followed by a giant, invisible, imaginary robot that gave you outrageous compliments and told you how wonderful you were. And that's literally what it said on this page. And it was in the middle of a book, and I didn't think anyone's ever going to see it. And what was weird was we gave about 400 of these things out, and that was one of many uh, prompts in the book. And I kept getting tons of emails and phone calls by, with people saying to me, literally saying, hey, you cannot believe what my robot told me today. Um, they told me I, had a, I was amazing in that meeting, or I was really nice to my kids today, or whatever. Like, I'm wearing nice pants. Like, people, this robot that I just told people to imagine was manifested for them. And so I found that to be fascinating. And I was like, huh, this is really cool. And so the next year when the Nandy year came around and I got my make a gift budget, I was like, let's make this robot. And so after a lot of turmoil, I figured out to put him on the back of a domino. So these are literally what Botjoy is. This is a long way to get there is I just doodle hand painted images of robots on the back of dominoes. And that is literally all it is. Um, these dominoes, these robots have names. Some of them are joy bots or love bots or hope bots or brave bots and they function and they do do things in the sense that they do things in your brain um, based on what they are so for example i donate brave bots you know thousands of dominoes to kids in children's hospitals they can hold on to a brave bot while they're sort of under pressure in these, in these environments that are scary um, and so what, what i realized as i started to experiment with these bots I, sometimes i leave them on the streets for people to find so here's just a joy bot so you have some random joy when you find them um, uh, or take a picture of something that brings you joy and send it back to me and we'll create this gallery of what you know makes Austin Texas happy um, what I realized is that they just became this vehicle for for co-creating with other people um, and to sort of create art that helps this idea of making something that is helpful not just aesthetically pleasing but actually can be helpful I find fascinating and so I've been exploring that territory with these little dominoes as well as sort of giant interactive robot murals for the same purpose I love this project so much. It's so phenomenally cool. So, and how do the how do the murals happen? Yeah. So, uh, well, it's it started simply with the city of city of Boulder, Colorado. Uh, shout out to Boulder. Uh, they they um, somebody in their in their percent in their public art uh, program got a hold of a little domino, and I think it was uh, I think it was a brave bot that they they, they got for their kids because their kid was having nightmares. Um, and they're like, this would be cool if these were big. And that's all I need is like, give me one small creative constraint and then I want to play with it. So I was like, let's do it. But how do you make them an interactive piece? Because right now, when you get a small domino, it comes with a little set of operating instructions. And it says something like, take your domino and put it, um, you know, somewhere where it can watch you for a while. And then when it sees that you need a little bit of courage, just listen and it'll sort of infuse you with some bravery so you can keep going. So the, the operating instructions allow you to have sort of this little conversation in your mind with yourself but you sort of just endow the robot as the as another entity. So how do you do that with a big mural? The, the way that I sort of cracked it, and Boulder was great, because they just like, here's a giant wall, figure, it, figure out what you need to do on it, um, and we'll pay you for it. And I was like, oh my God, did I just wake up or in, a, in dreamland? I mean, this is, how good, how good could this get? So the way I figured it out was, is to, to make the robots, each of them are these giant, huge, like 16 foot high or 20 foot high robots, but they have questions embedded into their physical design. So, for example, what brings you joy is a question that reoccurs in the robots a lot in the mural work. And then there's a little operating instructions plaque, not, not unlike what the, the, the instructions that come with the dominoes that says, you know, if you see this mural, 
uh, here's what you should do. You should uh, take a picture of yourself, pose, you know, pose with it, and then answer the question online using the hashtag uh, botchoy. Um, by the way, I don't really know anything about social media, but someone said you should do that, so that's suddenly how it happened. And, <laughs> um, and what's crazy is that hundreds of thousands, well, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds, potentially thousands of people are doing it. So they encounter these murals, and they answer these questions. So I get a nice a community snapshot of what brings Boulder, Colorado joy because enough people do it where you're like, oh, uh, here's what Boulder loves. And so you do one in Portland, Oregon, and that might be different. Um, and then the questions can vary. So in Portland, I have, which is my hometown, um, I have about seven different bot murals here So because I live here. And basically the way I choose a location is just I drive to work every day in one route. And I'm like, I like to do a, a mural there. So um, you can just track all my murals by the way that I drive. And uh, and so anyway, so these, there's lots of different questions like, um, where are you going or what are you curious about or who do you love or how can you help? And so it's really created a huge repertoire, which creates an online conversation after you encounter the physical piece. So that's how they work. And how did you get all those murals in Portland? Uh, begging, uh, begging and crying <laughs> and seeing people felt sorry for me. Uh, uh, well, Portland, you know. The whole idea of public art and the, the difference between, you know, street art and graffiti and legal art and illegal art is a huge world out there, which I'm fascinated with. Like when I have free time, I just sort of browse public art on Instagram. I'm like, let me look at murals all over the world. How cool is that? Um, but in Portland, there is sort of two different processes, which I won't get into. But sometimes it's easy as asking. Literally, it's like, I like your wall. Can I paint it? Um, especially if you want to paint it for nothing, which oftentimes I'll do because um, the work that I do it on your feed is amazing and great, but I needed the mural work to sort of feed my visual art soul. So mm -hmm. happy sometimes to do it for nothing. Um, so that's how it happens. And then it sort of expanded. So again, social media allows for people to see this work. So now there's pieces in, um, in Madrid and in um, San Jose, um, and in, um, in Melbourne, Australia from ages ago and in Dallas. So there's, I've got lots of pieces around, but that's just because the internet allows for you to do stuff like that, which is oh, cool. Wow. Where's yeah. the one in San Jose? That's near me. Uh, well, actually it's, it's in, um, uh, San Rafael, which is close. Oh yeah. That's yeah. Over, uh, over the bridge over the, it's over the, yeah, it's over the other side. So the other side of, but of I say San Jose cause nobody knows where, where that place is. So um, <laughs> it's in school. It's really cool. It's actually, it's a, it's a middle school and they said, paint you've got three days paint any wall you want wow so there are robots everywhere oh my gosh mulberry middle school is what it's called and it, they were cool. lovely and they have a huge again this sort of feeds into the robots have become weirdly enough they've become sort of this weird movement and so because i've invited people to steal the idea and make their own because they can get more bots out in the world right so if you want to make art that helps then you don't want to be the bottleneck which is what I ended up being. I can only make so many. So I figured out three years ago, just invite the world to make robots. And it caught on like wildfire, but in these weird little pockets. So like, for example, art educators in Texas are, are propagating bot making everywhere. Um, and, you know, there's a, a school, you know, Mulberry Middle School has every class making them. And it's a cool curriculum because they identify who in their community needs help. They figure out what kind of bot could help. And then they make them and get them out to the world. So wow. That's kind of how that works. That is so cool. And I know you talked in your in your presentation at uh, SIPSI, the Creative Problem Solving Institute, last June about how challenging that was for you to yeah, to yeah. Let, let go. Can you That's talk a, a let go, bit about right? That? That's yeah. the whole idea, sure. Yeah, I mean, 
it, it, it did, it did start with, um, so you can imagine, right? So let's imagine that you make something and you talked about this, which I thought was cool, Melissa. You're like, you make something and then you put it out in the world and then people give you feedback that they really like it. So that in itself is a pretty positive thing. Um, and then, so, so for me, the example was I did a batch of 400 robots for Randall Children's Hospital here in Portland, Oregon. And I literally knocked on the door of their art therapy department. They didn't know who I was. And this woman, um, Katie Dunn, who's awesome, she answered the door and she said, hi. And I said, hi. And here's, my name is Gary. And I make these little robots. They're called Brave Bots. And they come in this little box. And I think they might really help kids who get admitted to a hospital. And she went, yep. How many do you have? I said, 400. She goes, how about 4,000? <laughs> I mean, wow. it's that it's kind of that quick. And what happened was with these bots was especially kind of children's hospitals found out. And suddenly my email box is in. And again, I'm donating these, which I'm happy to do. I mean, I do sell these things. You can go on Etsy and find them because some people, it's the only way that some people can figure out how to get them. So I'm like, I'll make it easy for you, but I'm not that interested in selling them. Um, but anyway, so, so these children hospitals kept calling me and I, and I realized this is crazy. These are really helpful. I happen to be the person that makes them, but I'm also the problem because I can't give the a hospital in Connecticut 4,000 robots. I don't have the time to do it. I'm running a full-time consultancy that with 12 people and working for other, doing other things. So, so it's like, I, so, so what I did was I was like, okay, if you just sort of reframe this problem, you reframe it by asking how else could more bots be out in the world? Not how can Gary make more bots? And that's what led me to create, and you can go to BotJoy and see this. It's, it's a video that just says, uh, steal this idea. And you know, it is a, I don't know, I'm looking at right here. How long is that thing? It doesn't matter. It's like 12 minute video and it basically teaches you how to make a bot. Um, and anybody can make a bot anyways, you're drawing on the back of a domino with a pen. But, um, what happened was, was that the sort of people saw it and the world took me up on it. And what I said about it was, is steal this idea, meaning who knows what'll happen with it. I have to, if I'm gonna let go, I have to completely let go. Like, I don't get to say, um, you know, you can use this, but you can't, right? So what happened was a lot of, like I said, a lot of school cur art curriculums picked it up. A lot of organizations did it. Like, it's weird. I just got, I got an email two weeks ago from um, a healthcare company that is using robots in their market, these robots in their marketing. Wow. Right. right. So it's, I'm like, huh, how do I feel about that? Well, <laughs> I invite everyone to steal it. So I guess I'd be happy. I was like, hmm, be, you know, and my ego is involved in this too. So I'm kind of like, well, hopefully you'll hashtag it and credit it, but maybe you won't. Um, and the other thing that happened was, is that other artists, you know, um, people that do art for a living, they picked it up too. So, you know, there's artists in, 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 Tokyo that are doing it, artists in Paris that are making these bots. Some of them are just sort of making them and putting them out in the world and going, here's, these are these bots that I make. Um, and I came across this one guy in London who stole everything from me. He stole all of my imagery, all of my packaging, all of my stickers that I use, like all, everything from it. And when I first, and he, instead of calling them joy bots, he called them kind bots. And so I saw all of that and it was really interesting because I was like, all right, man, you asked for it. You said, steal this idea and put it out in the world. And my first instinct of seeing this was like, oh shit, I didn't mean this. <laughs> and then I go to this guy's website and the first thing it says there was kind bots inspired by joy bots from Carrie Hirsch. And here's how you can go see his stuff. And then everything felt fine. Like oh, wow. so I got my ego kind of dealt with because you can't just throw that away. Right. 
So it's like, okay, cool, thank you. You saw me around this project. And the truth was, now I don't care what the hell you do with it because you're getting more bots out in the world. That is the goal. So I, hopefully that wasn't too long-winded of, a, of, a, uh, of an answer, but I really struggled with it. And I still struggle with it sometimes. And I really enjoy watching myself in the struggle. Yeah. Because I learn a lot about this idea when I do it. Boy, I so, so resonate with that because I am so in the struggle with you. <laughs> With yeah. that whole letting go thing. Yeah. And letting go is all wrapped up in recognition and it's all wrapped up in credit and it's all wrapped up in how to identify myself. Like there's a lot going on. Yeah, you know, definitely. Anybody who makes things will, will appreciate that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I want to turn back to the business business side of things and mm-hmm. ask you about how you got started. I know a lot of people who incorporate improvisation and other experiential play-based methodologies got into it through, I don't know, they have MBAs or organizational development degrees or things like that. How did you get into on your feet, your consultancy? (laughs) Well, it sure isn't through that. That's for sure. (laughs) It's not getting an MBA. Although my business partner has one because you should always have somebody close by who has an MBA. Uh, (laughs) No, my gosh, it sure wasn't through any degree. It through a t-shirt. Through a t-shirt. Okay, what's yep, the story that there? That was it. It was through a t-shirt. Um, uh, Portland, Oregon, uh, 2000 and, uh, no, no, God, 1997 is when it was. Um, I am selling hand-painted t-shirts on the streets of Portland, Oregon. So giant creatures with done by hand on airbrush. And I'm doing this thing. And um, this British guy who looks a lot like me, weirdly, sort of bald with glasses, uh, approaches me and he's like, I, I need a t-shirt and I'm running, I have this business called Red Spider and we are our creative um, planning agency that works with ad agencies. Anyways, he, we start to talk and he's, and for some reason that conversation about a t-shirt, he liked my work. So for some reason that, that conversation, he said, what else do you do? And I said, oh, I do improv because that's true. At the time I was making art and I was performing improv and Starving, basically. <laughs> if you're doing those two things, uh, and um, he goes, "Wow, well," and and this I can, in retrospect, we look back. We even wrote a book about this, but um, it's it, the question that he asked was, um, how, "He goes, how does that work?" And I said, "Well, anybody can do it." And then his second line was, "Well, how about um, 90 ad execs in Tempe, Arizona, who are from Chicago, in two weeks?" Like that's literally how far we got in that conversation in that period of time. So like, Hey, I want a t-shirt to like, do you think these people could do it? So there's a huge testament to, to him. It's Robert Poynton, who's the co-founder of on your feet. And I said like, a good improviser would do. I go, sure. We can do that with them in my head. I'm going, I have no idea what, who, what is advertising? I mean, I, I knew nothing. So, which is cool. I came from a very naive place. So anyway, so fast forward, we end up taking improv into the, a leadership training for Leo Burnett in Chicago that was having an offsite in Tempe, Arizona. And it was massively successful because they were looking at ways to work together that they haven't thought of before and improv unlocked a lot for them. And, um, and that was the beginning of on your feet because Rob said that was really fun. I just want to do that. Now the problem was that Rob Poynton was a Brit who lived outside of Madrid and I was an artist that lived in Portland, Oregon. Um, but as a good, any good improviser will do, we just saw that as an offer. And we started to do work together, um, a lot of flying back and forth over the Atlantic. 
and most of continental US. And we ended up starting this company together. And it, and it, the, the other thing that really was helpful was that Portland State University, speaking of MBAs, the MBA program here had at the time, he's still a dear friend, what I, and he will, he will be happy to have me say this, they had the hippie dean of the MBA program. And so Scott was really interested in how do you bring storytelling and um, improv into the MBA program way before it became popular everywhere, which you'll find everywhere. And so I was able to pioneer that and pilot that at Portland State. And that's what got me convinced that this work works with anybody, but including folks in business. And I was super interested in working there. So there's a lot more that happened, but that's kind of the origins of it. Wow. Amazing. And now you have 12 people in your consultancy? Yeah. Sometimes I forget, and that's totally bizarre that I do, but we have some folks that are here in Portland and folks in Minneapolis and for folks in New York, uh, and um, some people float in and out of the organization. So it's between 10 and 12. Um, wow. And, um, and what's cool about it is that it's not just a bunch of improvisers. Um, On Your Feet started with an ad planner and an artist and an improviser and added to it in its history folks with experience, uh, an anthropologist, a yoga teacher, a filmmaker, a small business expert, a ton of improvisers, um, uh, et cetera. So it is made up of a pretty eclectic mix of folks that what they have in common is that they see improv um, as a as a key to be able to help organizations around their communication and creativity. Um, so they bring a, a huge amount of passion around the work and a lot of different experiences. Yeah. Very cool. Wow. Well, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Okay. But you don't have hours. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think I would want to subject you to hours of, I'm sure you have other things to do too. So I know you brought something cool to share, right? Uh, Yes. So you did. You prompted me. You're like, bring something cool to share that you think would be cool. Yes. Uh, So I did. I brought it in my brain. Excellent. I didn't bring it physically. In That's my fine. Person. It doesn't have to be physical. Okay. So shall I share that now? Yeah. All right. I will. Now this may not be anything that's revelatory, but I think it's awesome. Um, and that's it's something all that, that matters. My, my daughter um, and I sort of co-created together. And it's actually part of, uh, uh, of a new book that I'm working on. So, um, and here's the idea. Uh, it's, it's about, it's, it's a worry list. That's, that's what it's called. A uh-huh. worry list. And here's how a worry list works. Uh, I'll tell you through, through, through a story. So my family and I are about to go. We're going to go to Peru a few years ago. We've never been to South America. I've got a 18-year-old daughter, 23-year-old son, and a wife and two King Charles Cavaliers. We're leaving the dogs at home, however. And we were going to go to Peru. And um, we, my daughter and I noticed that what we were doing leading up to this, to this trip was we just were sitting around talking about all the things we were worried about. And we were like, oh, my God, what happens if we lose our passport? And what happens if, like, uh, the, the, bo- the border guards want to search us? Well, then good luck. They can have it. But um, we just kept going spiraling into these sort of anxiety death spirals around what might happen on this trip to Peru. And so my daughter, Emma, was really cool. She just said, let's just write all these things down. Um, so we did. So we had this huge list of about 30 things we were worried about. And then she said, let's just keep this and check in at the end of the trip to see what happens. And we did. And there's a lot of things that that happened on the trip. But when we were flying back home on the flight from um, Lima to Vegas, uh, we took out the worry list. And the, the, the short of it is, is that nothing happened. 
<laughs> that we had been worrying about for, for, and we spent hours fixating on. And so the cool thing is, is to create, is, is a bit of an experience that I do often, which is anytime I'm about to go do something that brings up anxiety, I create a worry list for it, and then I check it later. And every time things get better and better, and my little bit of worry and anxiety goes down, because almost never does uh, something manifest itself as truth that I put down on the worry list. So my cool thing to share and to bring is to have people um, create their worry lists for themselves. Oh my God, that is so brilliant. I love that. It's Emma. Emma, she gets the credit, not me. I just stole it. Emma, you you are brilliant. She rocks, yes. Emma rocks. Yeah, my husband and I are planning a trip to Paris for the Applied Improvisation Network World oh, Conference. Yeah. Oh, good for you. It's a great conference. Yeah. Well, I good went for the first time this year and yeah. got my uh, finger waiting to register for the the conference in Paris. Yeah, it's so fantastic. Good. We just bought our got our tickets, so I'm hoping I get the registration for the for uh for yeah, the put that on your conference. Which is will I actually get Will I this? actually get into the conference? Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, gotta start our worry list for that. For that wow. trip. That's brilliant. Yep. Cool. Wow. You Thank go. you for that. Well, my something cool this week is <laughs> this dentist in, I think they're in South Carolina or something. Dentist is named Patricia London. And <laughs> they do this thing called Monday Bites, these little like 10 second videos. <laughs> and I'll put a link in the show notes. They They just posted on Facebook a compilation. It's like seven minutes long or something of all these Monday Bites videos right. that they that they put out every Monday. And they are hysterical. They make these little music videos where they have some popular song. And one it's one main, I guess it's a dental hygienist. And then sometimes some of the other staff get involved as well. And the patients, and they do these like little 10 second music videos that are just so adorable and so hysterically funny. I'm so glad you said that. It's not like they just show people getting their teeth cleaned, which would have been a lot harder to watch. So that's no, great. there is no actual teeth cleaning involved, Good. but there are <laughs> patients sitting in the dentist chair and they're just so funny. So I will put yeah. a link in the show notes. I think you probably have to be on Facebook probably to be able to watch the video. But anyway, there'll be a link there. They're so funny. There's like 20 of these little Monday Bites videos on the link. So check it out. That's my something cool. Cracked me up, put me in a really good mood. So anyway, Gary, this has been so fun to get a chance to chat with you about letting go and improv and bots and all the cool stuff you have going on. And I may have to have you back because... (laughs) You're just a really cool guy. Awesome. Thank you. That was, it's been totally fun for me too. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah, thank you. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gary Hirsch. Let me know if you resonated. And thank you so much for joining me today. If you are getting value out of this podcast, share it with a friend or maybe an enemy. And I would be super appreciative if you would take a moment and hop on over to iTunes or the Apple Podcast Player and leave a rating and review. Those ratings and reviews are how other people find the show, and that is how you can help change the world. If you don't know how to leave a review, 
no problem. I've got you covered. Just go to creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes dash review. That's creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes hyphen review. And I've got step-by-step instructions for you right there. And email me to let me know you left a review and let me know how the podcast has made a difference in your own life. And that is how you apply to be considered for the listener spotlight. That's right. Every so often I bring a listener on the show and I shine the spotlight on you. If I pick you, we will have a really fun, really relaxed conversation and you'll get to be featured on the podcast. Super cool. That's it. That's all I got. So thanks again for joining me. And as always, go get creating. Subscribe at creative sandboxway.com slash podcast.